0: Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to RUF Spring Term Edition. It's really great. It's really great to be back. I missed you. Some more than others, you know who you are, but I missed you. I really did. Um, yeah, I hope. I hope you guys had a great spring break. And I just. I just want to. I want to commend. If you. If you know anybody who went on the RUF spring break trip, raise your hands, people. From my people at. Um, like, I, just. Just. To, Everybody on this side, and Sarah. Just, just ask them about it. Uh, we, had, we had a really great time, so I think I just would commend that to you to ask them. Um, I want to tell you what we're doing here for spring term. We have these weird four weeks left, so we have large group tonight. We have large group a week from tonight. Uh, next week will be fun in that uh, our own Ann Bev will be having a, a, a few brief moments to share with us a little. We want to honor her. We had a party for her uh, at the end of last semester, but we want to a, let, kind of hear from her, let her respond um, to her time and God's work here for just a few moments. Then two weeks from today, that's the third week, we're having our Senior Speak Night. If if you come to, to one RUF of the year, that's the one you need to come to. We're going to get a chance to hear from our, from our seniors as they drop some serious wisdom on us about their time here at Washington and Lee. And then week four of spring term on Tuesday night, we'll be having our Bluegrass and Barbecue RUA, RUF Throwdown, Hoedown. What's the... There's a long name, more of that to come. There will be music and food and laughter and dancing. So anyways, um, but for this week and next week, what I want to do is I want to spend these weeks in light of Easter just happening, happy Easter, he has risen, in light of Easter just happening, uh, I want to spend two weeks looking at some accounts from the Gospel of John uh, with Jesus Christ after he has risen from the dead. This is, this is really, there's a couple reasons I want to do this. One, there's some of the coolest passages in the Bible Two, it's Easter, and I want to talk about it. And then three, in the fall, we did the Gospel of John, and I didn't get to these, and I really want to do them. So that's, that's, those are my three reasons, okay? Uh, and tonight, we're going to be looking at John 20. It's printed on your handout, the, uh, the account of Jesus and Thomas. So just a, just a brief to catch up where we are in the Gospels. Jesus has uh, been born into the world, the light of the world into the darkness to shine his light and his message of love and grace and the goodness of God and the beauty of humanity. He's been betrayed by his best friends. He's been arrested and tortured and hung on the cross. And on the third day, he rises from the dead. Hallelujah. And uh, a couple of things have happened. uh, We're we're coming really close after that in the Gospel of John here. But in in John, the first person that Jesus encounters is, is Mary Magdalene. We actually talked about this in the fall. I'm sure you remember every word that I said, but there's this really beautiful encounter where she sort of sees this person in the distance in the early morning light, and she can't tell who it is, and she thinks it's the gardener, and maybe he knows where Jesus is, and then he speaks her name, and her life changes when she hears God speaking her name. It's very beautiful. She runs back and tells all the disciples that Jesus is alive, and she's seen him, and that they're to wait for him. Thomas is one of the people who hears that message. Right after that, the disciples are all hanging out, and Jesus appears to them. So there's a second encounter. Thomas is not there either, but he hears about that. So Thomas has actually heard about Jesus being alive uh, twice by people who Mary, who was one of their companions, who traveled with Jesus. Uh, Thomas knows her. This is not a random woman, okay? And then from his best friends, the other fellow disciples of Jesus. So two pretty credible sources. But he still doesn't believe it. And that's where we come in, in John 20, starting in verse 24. So please read along with me on your handout or your Bible, if you have it. John 20, 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails... Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us in love. You pray with me and then we'll get started. Hear our hearts, Lord. Speak what is true, we pray. I'm grateful for this chance to be together after a few weeks. Lord, uh, only you know what has gone on in each of our lives and hearts in the past few weeks, coming out of exams and going to spring break and getting back here. Lord, we know that many of our friends are gone and abroad, and we pray for them, that you'd be near to them. Please meet with us right now. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be at work through this word, so that we might know you and love you more. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that was discussed on the... (coughs) cumulative about 34-hour round-trip van ride that we took down to Panama City uh, was this documentary called Free Solo. Who's seen the documentary Free Solo? So I had not seen it. I have since seen it. A lot of you haven't. It's going to be great. I'm going to tell you everything. So Free Solo is about this guy named Alex Honnold who is a, he is a free solo rock climber. Okay, Some of you guys are rock climbers. You have climbed in the Outing Club barn or you have gone out into the wilderness with Mikey Barrow and experienced... Rock climbing, okay? You, you, know what, you know what this is. They're sort of like climbing indoors, and there's climbing outside where you stay low to the ground. That's called bouldering, right? And then there's climbing where you go far off the ground. And what normal sane people do when they do this is that they wear a harness, and attached to the harness is a rope, and the rope is attached either to an anchor at the top or to a series of anchors on the way up the route. And so that if you fall no big deal because your harness catches you and you kind of awkwardly dangle and try to get your foot in again and then you just keep going and whenever you want, you come back down, right? And someone else is belaying you. They're holding onto that rope and keeping it secure, taking out the tension so that you never have to fall very hard. Well, uh, free solo climbing is when you climb up uh, but you don't have a harness and you don't have a rope and you don't wear a helmet. You have no protection whatsoever. It's just you up on a mountain by yourself. And Alex Honnold is uh, the best free solo climber in the world. And the documentary is about his, uh, his eight-year journey and eventual successful uh, attempt to free solo a, a mountain in Yosemite National Park called El Capitan, or El Cap, as the insiders call it. And El Cap is this sheer wall of exposed granite that's a little over 3,000 feet tall. And uh, normal, seasoned, experienced climbers take about three days to climb all the to rock climb all the way up this sheer face of granite. And they do is that it's usually a, a group of at least two, sometimes more, but they'll take turns. One of them will sort of lead climb, meaning he's placing anchors and protection into the rock with a rope on him so he's safe the whole way. And then when he gets to the top, he holds the rope and the other person climbs up. And then they have this big bag and it's got all their water and it's got trash bags and it's got food and it's got their sleeping bags and portal ledges which is like a little foldable ledge that you literally tie in and sleep on thousands of feet off the ground in the middle of the night on a cliff it's insane and and you can do this you can go up in about three days and if you're if you're a seasoned experienced climber you can do this but it's exhausting and it's technically demanding and it's incredibly dangerous Alex did it with no harness and no ropes in three hours and 56 minutes. And there are sections of this rock that are um, they're slanted a little bit. They're inclined. But it's just flat, meaning there's, there's nothing to hold on to or stick your feet in. And you have to just kind of lean in and just trust the tension between your climbing shoes and the rock. And if you slip, there's nothing to hold on to. That's about 550 feet off the ground. There's, there's other places where there's uh, just a sheer, straight-up rock face with a crack in it about an inch wide. And you have to wedge your fingertips into the crack and pull up your feet and wedge them next to the crack and then move up like an inch or two at a time. There's other places where the crap, crack opens up to like a foot. Yeah, it's okay. We can talk about it. <laughs> crack opens up to about a foot. So there's nothing to hold on to, and you have to literally wedge your torso and your hips into it, your whole body, and just wiggle your way up. There's places where you are uh, inverted, and you are literally hanging by your fingertips. And the way that one of Alex's friends describes what free solo climbing is like, he says it like this, it's like the effort of an Olympic gold medal performance, only if you don't get the gold medal, you die. Like there's no silver medal. Like your finger slips out of the crack, you die. You miss a foothold, you die. Your arms get too tired to keep going, you die. You don't drink enough water the day before, you're low on blood sugar, you have heat exhaustion, you die. You miss one step, one hold, one move, and you are dead. There is literally no room for error. You have to be perfect, or you're going to (laughs) die. And that's actually what appeals to this guy, Alex Honnold. When you first hear about someone doing like this, it it sounds like he's some crazy thrill seeker, someone who just wants to feel that rush. He's not like that at all. He's the most exacting, precise, thoughtful person. He planned this route to such an extent that he could sit in this room and tell you move by move each of the thousands of steps by memory. Here's where I put my right hand. Here's where I put my left foot. Then I reach here, and then I step back. He can tell you the whole thing. He practiced it for years. He does it because, and this is what he said in one interview, he says it feels good to experience perfection even for a moment. It feels good to experience perfection even for a moment because when you've climbed to the top of something with no protection, you've done something perfect. No errors, no mistakes. That's what's appealing to him. Uh, I think it's appealing to us too. This strive for perfection, this uh, journey towards some moment, even just a moment of perfection. We we want this kind of thing, right? We actually strive for perfection, and and you are at a place, you are at a school that it programs you that that's what you're supposed to strive after. You're supposed to strive after perfection in your grades. And so that feeling you get when you get that four oh one semester or when you ace that one test, some of you have never experienced this, I understand. The feeling that you get, like, and you know that feeling goes away pretty quick, right? Because the next thing's coming, right? But but just for a moment, it feels really good. It feels like you've done something with no mistakes, with no slip-ups. You're supposed to have perfect grades, supposed to get the perfect job, supposed to have the perfect body, the perfect internship, the perfect relationships, the perfect social media profile. Everything that we do is, we're searching for this moment of, perfection. The, the problem is, and this is what's scary about this guy Alex, during the course of the movie, three of the other top free climbers in the world while they were filming died during free climbing accidents. So the end credits are like in memory of these three other climbers who died. If he keeps doing this, like he's for sure going to die. Because he's not perfect. And of course we're not perfect, right? And a lot of the anxiety that we experience a lot of the sadness that we experience, a lot of the disappointment that we experience, a lot of the shame we experience, is the rub that comes when we realize I'm striving after perfection and I am failing to achieve it. Do you know that feeling? Of course you do. And what this does, it, it, it hurts us in all kinds of ways. It fills us with shame and inadequacy. It breeds comparison. Like We all have those people who we assume have a better GPA than us, who have that relationship that looks like the way that we want ours to look like, who got the summer internship that we wish we got, whose pictures about their spring break trip look much more epic than the pictures from our spring break. Like, it breeds comparison and dissatisfaction and inadequacy in our lives. And unfortunately, it's the same in our relationship with God. We, we experience the pain of imperfect faith. And that's really what we're going to talk about tonight because that's what we see in Thomas, is a person who is experiencing imperfect faith. And so the, the question that we're going to look at tonight is, uh, what will Jesus do when he encounters Thomas, this person of imperfect faith? And what's Jesus going to do to us? How's he going to encounter us? How's he going to act towards us as people who come to him with imperfect faith? And so what, what I want to show tonight, what I think that God's word shows us tonight, is that as people who come to him with imperfect faith, what Jesus does in those moments is that he invites us to, to have an experience of himself. And I just want to talk about two ways he does this tonight. He invites us to have an experience of his grace, and then secondly, he invites us to have an experience of his death and resurrection. An experience of his grace, and then secondly, an experience of his resurrection. So, first, an experience of his grace. Thomas gives a pretty bad rap in history. Like, can you imagine if you were known in 2,000 years for, like, a bad week you had one time and the qualities that were demonstrated? Like, I hope this never happens to me, right? Doubting Thomas, he is still called in the children's songs and books and in your own minds, right? I think it's probably not totally fair. But, what, but however he should or should not be remembered, what, what we're seeing here is a person uh, of imperfect faith. Uh, and here's what I mean. Tell, tell me if you can relate to this feeling. He is in a room, and everyone believes something except for him. He's in a room and everyone seems to have experienced something that he has not experienced. Th- this may be what some of you are feeling right now in this room as you think about being at a Christian fellowship event. I'm here. I kind of know some stuff. I kind of believe this thing, but it seems like other people are like more legit or more tight on this than I am. How do I face the realities of that? And this is a person who is, is not just feeling left out, although I think he is, but He's disoriented. He's confused. He's shaken up by his lack of belief. Have you ever felt like that? Confused, shaken up by a moment where you just didn't feel like you could believe enough? Didn't feel like you could trust enough? Didn't feel like you could see God enough? He's been told twice that Jesus is alive. He knew Jesus himself. He heard him say things like, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it again in three days. But yet he says... Unless I see it with my eyes, unless I touch it with my hand, I want to feel those holes where the nails were holding him on the cross. I want to feel the hole in his side where the guards pierced him with a spear to prove that he was dead and could be taken down. Now, if I can't touch it, then I can't believe it. And when I think about Jesus' ministry, one of the things that you notice is that he is constantly correcting and rebuking his disciples. Like they just again and again don't seem to quite get it. Like he's gathered a large group of people, 5,000 of them, and they're far away. And Jesus is like, feed them. And they're like, we don't have any food. And he's like, figure it out. Do you trust me? And then like the next chapter, the exact same thing happens again. Feed these people and the disciples don't. He's constantly telling them, Hey, you need to believe more. Hey, if you had faith even the size of a grain of mustard, you could move mountains. Get behind me, Satan, Peter. You don't understand what you're saying when you tell me that I should stop talking about my death. They're constantly needing correction. And that's kind of what I'm expecting here with Thomas. I'm expecting a moment where Jesus looks at him with kind of an endearing, derogatory, condescending way. Oh, ye of little faith. I'm expecting him to to say, like Paul says to Galatians, oh, you foolish you foolish person. I'm expecting him to say, get, get behind me. You don't believe me, you're out. I'm expecting some kind of correction, some kind of rebuke. Instead, all that happens is that he appears in the room, the door was locked. We don't know what happened. Did he pick the lock? Does he have magical power now to unlock things from the outside? Did he walk through the walls? Did he appear from somewhere else? We don't know. Doesn't tell us. All of a sudden he's there and he says, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas, and instead of rebuking him and correcting him, he says, come here. <laughs> he invites him to come check him out. He invites him to come put his hands on him, to feel him. It's like he wants him to have this experience of who he is. Jesus is saying, I- I'm real. I'm solid. I'm living. I'm breathing. I'm... I'm alive. Come here and and touch me. And you'll see it. I I wonder where you would say you experience imperfect faith. I think for most of us, if we're honest, imperfect is a pretty generous way to describe our faith, right? Sometimes we experience imperfections in our faith and and our inability to resist temptations. You promise yourself you're not going to get drunk this night. You promise yourself you're not going to go back to this website. You promise yourself you're not going to text this boy when you're feeling lonely. You promise yourself you're going to read the Bible every day over spring break. And then it doesn't quite happen. And you're left with that feeling of weakness. Sometimes our our experience is is doubts. Like, is Jesus real? Can I actually trust the Bible? Like, what does that mean for me? What, What about people who believe different things? What does that mean? How do I deal with these questions that I have? So that sometimes we have just disappointments about our life and, the, and things not working out the way that we want. Sometimes we encounter something uh, in a sermon or in God's word, and it just doesn't make sense to us. It just seems too weird, too crazy, too radical, too narrow-minded, and it shakes us. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I, I don't know how you'd say your, your weakness manifests itself. But when these things are over, we can be tempted to have the sense that uh, we've kind of let God down, that he might be angry or disappointed with us. And the first encouragement to you tonight is that when God encounters someone who is shaken up and disoriented and confused by their own weak faith, he does not rebuke them. He does not correct them. He invites them to him. That, that's really what grace is, that Jesus encounters us as people with imperfect faith and instead of pushing us away, he draws us near. Instead of judging us, he forgives us. Instead of being disappointed in us, he loves us. And he's not just saying, "I love you. he's saying, "I want you to have an experience of this. So come and check me out. Come, feel me, come listen to me. come be near to me." The, the, the encouragement of this I should say, is by means of practical encouragement tonight. One of the things that's cool about this story is that Thomas, although he is feeling like he's the one in the room who doesn't get it, although he's feeling like he's missing something, although he's feeling a little crazy and shaken and disoriented, he's still in the room with the rest of the disciples. He hasn't left the community. He hasn't left God's people. And so I just want to encourage you: if you're feeling shaken up, if you're feeling doubts, if you're feeling weak, you're still welcome here. You're still welcome at your church. Don't leave. Don't feel like you can't be here. In fact, God's people is a place for people of imperfect and weak faith. In fact, it's the only kind you can ever have. And Jesus invites you to experience his grace when you encounter him. That's the first point. The the other one tonight is this, is that Jesus invites us to experience his death and resurrection. The the other thing I love about this passage is how little Jesus speaks to Thomas. Because not only does he not correct him, but I... I kind of expect him to give a little homily. Like, this would be a great time to sort of share, explain, teach, challenge what's really true. And instead, this is the words. He walks in the room, he says, Peace be with you. He turns to Thomas. He turns to the one dude in the room who's confused. And what does he say? Put your finger here. That's all he says at first. To a person of doubt, he says, Put your finger here. This right here, this is the hole in my body where the nail drove through my flesh and blood and bone into a wood post. Here's another one. Put your finger here. Put your hands here. Look at these with your eyes. I have a hole in my body right here where they stabbed me with a spear. All the fluid that built up in my lungs rushed out. You can touch it. I think this is an incredible thing. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. Come experience my body. Because here's here's what he's experiencing. He's experiencing at the same time the marks of death in one who is living and breathing and pulsing and moving and talking. He's giving him an experience both of his death and his life at the same time, he's saying, yeah, I was really dead. You can see it right here. Yeah, I'm really alive. You can see it right here. Sometimes we read these stories and it feels like an an image, like a ghost, like the image of Christ appeared. You cannot touch an image, though. Jesus says, put your finger here. You can can touch me. The, The marvel of the gospel is that not only does Jesus die and rise from the dead for us, He does this, but he actually gives us then an experience of his death and his resurrection. To to such an extent that Paul says it like this, that if you believe, then you have died with him and been buried with him and been raised with him and and, and ascended with him and seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven with him. That's crazy talk. It means that Jesus loves us so much that he joins our experience to his experience. Here's what this means. In other places, the Bible teaches us that uh, to the extent that we who know Jesus experience suffering in the world, experience sorrow, experience pain, experience trial, to a degree we're actually sharing in the suffering of Jesus. His suffering becomes ours and ours become his because we're connected with him in an experience of love. And to the extent that we experience joy, celebration, and victory, and success, we're actually sharing in his life because our life is his, and his life is ours. So so for Christians, and I, I know not everyone here tonight is a Christian, but for Christians, the entire spectrum of our experience of life is attached to the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's attached. It's connected. He wants us to actually have an experience of it. And it can be easy to look at this and say, like, yeah, easy for him to say. He was in the room. He got to put his hands on Jesus. I'm sure he never doubted again. I've never done that. Jesus says, he says this in response. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's he talking about? He's talking about you and me. Blessed are those who believe in the midst of their imperfect faith because they trust the experience of their suffering and joy is actually the experience of the cross and of the empty tomb. Everything that he has and is, he gives and shares to us. And everything that we have and do, he invites us to lay on him. That means that in the pain and frustration and disappointment and shame of your experience of life and your imperfect faith and imperfections you get to cling to Jesus who doesn't turn you away who's actually invited you to experience his death and resurrection the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the center it's the focal point it is, it is the eye of the storm of the love of God and, and the secret of the universe is that Christianity is not a religion don't, t- don't tell anybody Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is not a set of beliefs or principles or teachings. Christianity is not an institutional structure organized around the same ideas. Christianity is not a set of worship methods and priorities. Christianity is not those things. Christianity is personal. And I don't mean personal for us, although of course it is. I mean it's personal in that it is about a person. It is about Jesus Christ, the person. It's about Jesus Christ the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Savior, Jesus Christ the Son of God, Jesus Christ the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ who died and who rose from the dead. Hallelujah. It is about Jesus. So when Jesus says, Do not disbelieve, but believe, and then lets Him touch Him, He's he's teaching us that true religion are the things that flow from an experience of the presence of Christ. That's true religion. That's where love and mercy and all these other things come from. an experience of Christ. And so Thomas actually gets to touch his scars. And I, I, I've, I've often wondered, especially after I've read, if you want to know about what heaven's going to be like, go read 1 Corinthians 15: craziest chapter in the Bible. It talks about what it will be like when we have resurrection bodies, like when Jesus returns and we are raised from the dead, and instead of having these imperishable bodies we, sorry, instead of having these perishable bodies, we have imperishable bodies. Instead of having weak bodies, we have bodies of power. Instead of having bodies of human will, we have bodies conformed to the will of the Spirit. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. And I kept thinking like I don't think my blemishes are going to still be here. I think I'll have thick locks of hair for one thing. Okay, but <laughs> what, so like why is like why didn't God fix his wounds? And, and the more I think about it, and I think about a passage like this, like these are. You know, you hear her, like, chicks dig scars? Like, in the, in the most righteous sense, like, these are battle scars. These are the marks of victory. These are the signs of the glory of the empty tomb, that death is now been swallowed up by life in the person of Jesus, whose death and resurrection is the eye of the storm of the love of God for his people. Hmm. So how can Jesus love you even in your imperfection? He can love you because he died for you. And how can you have any kind of hope in the midst of the darkness of your experience of life? Because Jesus is alive. Because the tomb was empty. Because the stone was rolled away. The victory over death is your guarantee, is your promise that your darkness, that your pain, that your frustration, that your imperfection is not the end of the story. Because Jesus' death was not the end of his story. And his story becomes our story. And our story becomes his story. It, it means that you need to keep seeking the person of Christ. Don't be tempted. Don't be tempted to when you feel frustrated, when you feel like you have questions that aren't answered, when you feel like you see hypocrites all around you, when you feel like you don't measure up and you can't resist temptation, when you can't get it together... Don't stop. Don't stop reading the Bible. Don't stop going to church and RUF and your Bible study. Don't stop praying. Keep seeking him. Keep wrestling with him. He can handle your doubts and your questions. It doesn't bother him at all. He's already died and rose from the grave. You cannot do anything to him. He has the marks of the victory over death on his body. One of the, one of the subplots of this of this movie, Free Solo. Is the relationship of Alex Hommel with his girlfriend, Sony. Sony? Sony. And Sony sort of, at first, when she meets him at a book signing in Seattle, is just kind of fascinated by how weird he is and then eventually falls in love for him. So, girls, here's what will happen, okay? You're going to meet some guy and it'll seem interesting, but you'd never have a future, and then you're going to fall in love with him, and then he's going to climb a mountain without a rope. So just be warned now, okay? (laughs) She, she, she falls in love with him, and so one of the questions, they never really ask this question, but one of the questions of this movie becomes, uh, can you strive after perfection in something? Can you devote your entire life towards achievement and perfection in something and still have meaningful human attachments also? Can you do it? Alex uh, and Sony are trying desperately to answer yes. It's really, seeing their relationship is really stressful, Okay? It's really stressful. And, and they're just very different. There's a moment where Alex is talking about their relationship, and he says, you know, Sony, I, this, is a, this is not a direct quote, but he says, basically, you know, Sony views her life uh, in terms of, like, happiness. Like, she wants to be happy. She wants to surround herself with connections to people that are fulfilling to her. He says, I, I view my life through the lens of achievement. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to get done? You, you cannot have both. Not for long, because eventually this striving after perfection and this striving after love for other human beings and community and relationship and friendship, eventually you've got to have to pick one. Perfectionism and, and Christian faith are, are actually mutually exclusive, because the kind of faith that comes to Jesus is an imperfect one. It's actually the only option. And I don't know if you're hearing that and you're thinking, wait, does that mean I'm not supposed to pursue excellence and perfection in my grades or in my job or in a successful life? I I, I don't know. I don't know what you should do in your life. But here's here's what I do know. I know that Jesus Christ is inviting you to pursue him with your whole heart. I know he's inviting you to come to him with your whole self. And I know that he is the only place where your imperfection is met with limitless grace And love. Because forgiveness flows from the wounds in his hands and feet and side. And in him is life, full and abundant life now and for eternity. Praise him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do praise you for your victory over death. We praise you for the scars and the marks of your death that are in your body of life now that your life has swallowed up death. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, teach us to come to you honestly with our questions, with our weakness in the face of temptation, with our doubts, in the times when we are shaken up and confused and disoriented when it feels like we're missing something or when it feels like some teaching of yours can't possibly be true. Help us to trust you enough to come to you. And I pray that you would do just what you promised, that when we seek you, we would find you. That when we knock, the door would be open to us and that you would give us an experience of your resurrection life of love. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.